This is Eye on Education on the Agenda with the Royal Grammar School, Guildford, Dubai. Welcome to Eye on Education and a busy one this week as we looked into a number of the big topics that were dominating the education sphere, not just here in the UAE, but further afield. Crunched a few of the big stories. Then we're joined by the psychologist, Dr. Kieran Hillier from the Harriet Watt University campus here in Dubai. And to talk about a concern in the world of education about the mental health of teachers. Spoke a lot about the mental health of students and they being recognised more and more now. But what about teachers? Is enough being done, especially uh, given the pressure that a number of teachers have been through during the pandemic? Uh, Evidence suggests that a number of teachers are leaving the profession because of their uh, life-work balance and the mental pressures afforded by the jobs, plus the new roles that they've inherited as a result of the pandemic. We delved into that evidence uh, with Dr Hillier and also answered some of your questions. Plus, languages. How many do you speak? Is being bilingual? Is being multilingual a benefit for you moving forward in your life and in your career? Uh, Should we be encouraging our children to learn more than one language? This is prompted by the fact that more young Emiratis at schools here in the UAE are now learning Mandarin. So we dived into the world of languages with several experts. Plus, we spoke all things metaverse, because apparently, yeah, we've heard about businesses in the metaverse, we've heard about brands in the metaverse, we've heard about concerts in the metaverse. There's no classrooms in the metaverse. Uh, Pankaj Gupta, uh, who has invested heavily in an edtech company here, joined us to describe what a metaverse classroom actually looks like and why it will be the education of the future. This is Eye on Education on the Agenda. With the Royal Grammar School, Guildford, Dubai. Indeed it is. I would like you to share any of these stories that you'd like to talk about when it comes to all things education. You've had a week off, uh, so therefore there is no doubt uh, that there are certain stories that you would like to share with us, certain opinions uh, maybe. So let's kick off the hour with a roundup of all the big education stories that have been featuring in the news. Um, And a question for you, if I may, uh, for a little segment later on. How many languages do you speak? And has being multilingual helped you in school or in your career? Um, has it helped you more recently than it has in the past uh, or not? Uh, Zina Salome has joined me live in studio. Morning, Zines. Morning. Uh, so let's work through some of those uh, education stories that have caught the eye. And in the UK, uh, Jersey have announced plans to overhaul its education system and changes will include learning, different languages, something we're going to focus on a lot. Uh, Why is this different? Well, it's the first language policy for all government schools and colleges in Jersey, uh, and they've launched it. Children and Education Minister Deputy uh, Scott Wickenden said the policy would help schools and teachers understand and support language learning. And basically, he said that speaking different languages and recognizing cultural heritages will uh, improve uh, children's well-being. Uh, and uh, make them multilingual learners. But it also means that all pupils benefit from an increased awareness of diversity. So this is 
is why they're doing it. Uh, and in fact, 62 different languages are spoken in schools across the island of Jersey alone with Portuguese, Polish and Romanian as the three most spoken languages by multilingual pupils in Jersey. And the first language policy for all government schools and colleges in Jersey has just launched. You're multilingual, correct? I'm just bilingual. Bilingual? Yeah, I speak English and, of course, my mother tongue, Filipino. Okay. It's helped me in many ways. Uh, it's helped me get discounts in shops. Oh, nice. <laughs> what, the English? Or the, the Filipino. Oh, right. Uh, you speak French, right? But there aren't, there, aren't there sort of multiple different Filipino dialects or something like that? Yeah, I speak our national language, which is uh, a combination of, uh, I guess, Spanish. There's a little bit of Chinese, a little bit of... Arabic, believe it or oh. not, thrown in there. Yeah. Okay. But certain parts of the Philippines, would they, would they have a different language or is it all understandable within the country? Uh, not really. We have dozens of different dialects yeah. and a Filipino would be speaking another dialect and I wouldn't understand what they're saying. Wouldn't understand. Yeah. Okay. Um, let's turn our attention then to the UAE, if we can, because there's been a shift in terms of language learning here as well. Exactly. Now, I've spotted this story in the news. More Emirati students are learning Mandarin. Oh. And in fact, uh, I was trying to think of the word Mandarin word for yes, but I can't. Mm, well, I can't but. help you out with that either. <laughs> okay. More Emirati students learning Mandarin. There are now 142 public schools across Dubai and Abu Dhabi uh, where the Chinese language is being taught to students. Uh, and it it begs the question, you know, is it the language of the future? Well, 1.4 billion people speak it. And in fact, in Saudi Arabia, they've introduced the same initiative across public schools. Should I? Saudi Arabia. Uh, no, apparently that's yes in Mandarin. She, oh. She day. Um, Please help us. Yes. Is, is he telling the truth? No, I don't know. That's just what Google's telling me at the moment. But if anyone else can put us right or not wrong on that would be... Uh, Appreciated. Um, it, it, uh, look, you can't you can't deny um, that Mandarin is one of the most widely spoken languages in the world. Um, it's a country with 1.4 billion population. However, um, we have been talking about Mandarin being your passport uh, to the future for a long, long time. And given the sort of struggles that we're seeing over in China at the moment, albeit I know that's only temporary, uh, but closed borders and the manufacturing crisis uh, because of COVID lockdowns, I wonder whether that has tempted, you know, has changed people's opinions about whether they learn Mandarin or not. But it used to be, um, certainly when I was growing up, if you learned Mandarin, it was a passport to a well-paid job, basically. It, mm -hmm. it gave you great advantages moving forward. Is that still the case now? I, th I think it will be. As you said, the situation in China is temporary and China's formed alliances, partnerships with different countries, including uh, the UAE and other countries in this part of the world. And I think, you know, initiatives like this, it'll only uh, sort of uh, help people understand the Chinese language, their culture, and then eventually it'll all pay back. How? How? Thank you, Peter. Cheers, Peter. So what, what did you say earlier? Um, uh, apparently Google said it to me that it was <laughs> she day, uh, but um, obviously not. Well, she she for trying. Thank you. That means thank you. Perfect. Uh, listen, how many languages do you speak? Has being multilingual, bilingual helped you in your school, in your career or otherwise? Are you encouraging your children to be linguists? 
um, or not these days. Uh, let's turn our attention to the big return to school. Uh, many now are coming back from holidays, so it's worth revisiting some of the rules around PCR testings as well. Zines, what's the latest? Yeah, well, in Dubai, there's no need to be tested here before going back to the classroom. Uh, if your child has been traveling outside the UAE, the KHDA's latest guidelines say that there are no testing requirements. Uh, that's the latest rule. Of course, if your child is ill or has symptoms of the virus, then they should stay at home and get tested, of course. Produce a, a negative PCR test, and then they can go back to school when they're well. And in Abu Dhabi, while PCR testing isn't mandatory, Staff and students still need to get that green status on the Al Hassan smartphone app. The pass will stay green for 14 days after a negative test for all vaccinated pupils aged 16 years and older, teachers and staff, and 30 days for under 16s. And of course, like Dubai, they need to get tested and stay at home if they display symptoms of the virus. Kids love social media. What can we do about it? Well, yeah. Are children out and about or indoors glued to their screens during the long eat break is the question we're asking because I think we all know this, but there's another study on this. A week-long break, a week-long break, just a week-long break from social media can help reduce depression and anxiety. So research from the University of Bath split uh, study participants aged between 18 and 74 into groups allowed on different platforms and those who weren't. And people without access to sites like TikTok, Facebook and Twitter reported increased levels of well-being. Indeed. Yeah. Is that the case in your household? Are you concerned about the amount of screen time uh, your children uh, are spending or have been spending over the Eid break? Uh, do get in touch with the show. One final one for you as well. Uh, India, we have found out this week, is the biggest target of cyber threats to educational institutions and online platforms. It's followed by the US and the UK, Indonesia and Brazil, according to a new report by Singapore-based CloudSec. What does this mean? Well, the reasons behind that, why India is the biggest target for cyber threats, is uh, because the adoption of remote learning during COVID. uh, You've also got the digitization of education and the prevalence of online learning platforms. So India has a robust online learning education system. Therefore, it's more susceptible to these attacks. Uh, By the way, the report is titled Cyber Threats Targeting the Global Education Sector. And it also claimed that data shows a 20% increase in cyber threats to the global education sector in the first three months of this year, and that's comparing to the corresponding period of 2021. And I guess it just highlights the fact that remote learning may be here to stay. It is an option. It's on the table. But globally, are we putting security measures in place to protect our educational platforms and ultimately our children? This is Eye on Education on the Agenda. With the Royal Grammar School Guildford, Dubai, passionate about creating personalized learning experiences to nurture independent and future-ready young people. Uh, thank you very much indeed for all of your text messages. Keep them coming in. Annie, thanks very much indeed to you for uh, yours. And Julie as well. Lovely to hear from Julie Mallon, um, who's listening in today. Julie saying, we mustn't underestimate the negative impact uh, had on our children's and teenagers' sleep, especially as schools recommence. This is uh, in relation to our conversation about all things screens and just the fact that uh, too many teenagers, children as well, spending too much time uh, on screens at the moment. Uh, Now, ahead of World Mental Health Awareness Week, which is taking place next week, we're going to take the time to check in on our teachers. It looks like a lot of them are 
quitting the profession at the moment. And Zina's got the details for us here. What are the numbers telling us? Well, outside the UNE, Tom, in England, a poll shows that nearly half of teachers, that's 44%, plan to quit within the next five years. Now, the National Education Union uh, polled 1,788 teachers. Uh, Those were the results. And a fifth of them, 22%, said they would leave within two years. Now, in the United States, uh, a January 2022 poll found that 55% of educators said that the pandemic made them more likely to leave the teaching profession earlier than they'd planned. And that's nearly double the proportion of teachers who said that in July of 2020. That survey was conducted by the National Education Association in the U.S. And workload is the main culprit. Now, those numbers are exclusive to England and the United States, but the situation is familiar to teachers across the globe. Uh, in fact, Camila Shakarchi is based in in the UAE. She was a teacher but decided to quit. We talked about a lot of things. I spoke to her. Uh, we talked about, you know, the reasons she quit. But first, I asked her about her career in education. I started teaching in 2009. So I was a teacher for 12 years. I had been teaching high-level sciences. So mostly my focus was on grade 11 and 12 uh, science and first year university, but also supporting the transition from middle school to high school. Well, very often a grade nine teacher as well. Um, I've taught in four continents. I also have uh, a specialty in international education. I absolutely adore teaching. I actually left my first profession. I have a, a master's in neuroscience when I was doing research, and I was asked by my university to teach some classes, and I fell in love with the profession. It is an amazing vocation. It's so fulfilling. And to this day, I still actually love teaching. And it's very hard to quit the profession that you've loved and you kind of lived your life around for about 12 years. What were the circumstances that led to you quitting? One of the major circumstances that led to it was the way the demands fell upon teachers, especially in this region of the world. There was very little respect for protected time for teachers to be able to do things like plan their lessons and grade. And they were always continuously asked to do extracurricular activities and spend more time doing things. So when their prep periods were there, they'd be asked to substitute for teachers that were absent, losing that protected time, which means we took that all home with us. We completely lost the division between work and home, and it completely got out of balance. When COVID struck and everybody went online suddenly, it was just expected that teachers would be immediately able to make the switch. And I was lucky I was able to, but the demands on our time and our students making everything available virtually that was normally done on one-on-one basis as well as prepping lessons so that they could be done asynchronously with people in the different world. The demand was so high and there was no accommodation for time or for preparation or for preparedness. And then the fallback from it returning after COVID with this obvious lag in students' achievement and different abilities because of the gaps in learning, there was a sudden outcry by parents that was actually also put back on teachers rather than realizing that this was a world pandemic that was really difficult and that everybody was in the same boat. So teachers went from being nobody to being heroes because we were able to do this to suddenly being lazy because we couldn't pick it up and parents were like, we should go back to school, teachers should be back in person. And we were forced to go back into the classroom like frontline workers, but we weren't offered the vaccine until much, much later. So these kind of discrepancies and pressures were really quite hard to 
the balance. That must have taken over your entire life. I mean, bringing work home and then thinking about it, losing sleep over it. How are you going to accomplish that much work and adjust to the circumstances uh, that you know arose during the pandemic? Was there any point in your life or moment that you said, "Enough is enough. I'm not going to be able to do this for the rest of my life." So there was a point for sure where I was just like, "Listen, this is high-level clients. This is difficult for even one-on-one." with students in the classroom. Now you're expecting us to be able to virtually teach them lab skills, to write internationally standardized exams, and then not recognize that these kids haven't had the time and we haven't had the time as a group to interact and measure performance standards. So when they do badly or choose not to write the exam, they threw it back on us. And then I saw how many teachers were let go because they couldn't adapt fast enough. And that's what I saw in my my personal was that people who had been around for years that didn't adapt fast enough to the new model or that didn't accept the workload that was suddenly thrust upon them were let go. And I found that so unethical that I was just like, I can't support this profession the way it is. So I left and started my own private tuition firm so I could still interact with teachers and students and give them the support they needed, but not with the toxic environment that had developed from the expectations that were unrealistic for a normal person. Teachers have the right to have a weekend or to have an evening without being bombarded by parent and student emails at anywhere between 2 a.m. to literally 11 p.m. Congratulations, by the way, on founding your own tutoring firm. A lot of teachers that quit still don't know what to do because they love the profession so much and are finding it hard to pivot. But how did the whole thing affect your personal life? I didn't have one. I did not go out during COVID, not even, even after lockdown was lifted. I just did not have the time to go out because... To support my students, I had to do Zoom lessons after school, after being online all day, parent conferences, trying to digitify all my work and their work into something that would still give them a meaningful education and hit all the standards so they don't feel behind when they walk through into university doors. Because that's one of the biggest things is they needed the skills and they needed the knowledge or they would be behind. And we stayed online quite a bit longer than some other places. That is so heartbreaking because you absolutely love teaching, but you had to leave it. So what are your feelings to this day about uh, maybe going back to the classroom? Uh, Do you miss your students? You definitely don't miss the working environment, but what about those students? I miss the students terribly, so much so that um, a school actually asked me to take on a few classes part-time because their enrollment was higher than expected. And so I actually I actually tried really hard not to go back to teaching. I was trying to hold my, my ground super firm, but I went back in November and took a part-time position because I do miss the interaction. I miss, I miss teaching. It is my profession, and it's something that's been a part of my life and will be a part of my life forever. And so I did go back, and I'm considering going back full-time, but I'm not going to lie. I'm very fearful for my mental health and for what's going to come. And I'm in a very good school that is aware of these pressures, so they're mitigating it. But I feel that it would be very easy to go back to those demands. And as you know, there is a worldwide teacher shortage. A lot of experts saying teachers now have the upper hand. They can ask for more money. But is that ultimately what a teacher needs, more money? What needs to change? What needs to really happen is to protect teachers' time, to let teachers have the time during the day when they're supposed to be, to use that time to do things like grade and prep and have meetings, but also to make sure that they're not getting contacted by students or by even administration after working hours and to respect that things like weekends and breaks are also for 
teachers. They shouldn't be teaching all day from, you know, we're at school from 7 o'clock till 3, 3.30, 4 o'clock, 4.30, depending if there's meetings, and then taking home two, three, four, five hours of work with us. There needs to be a, a maintenance of the work-life balance, and that can only happen if we look at workload and make sure it's fairly distributed and make sure that their time is protected. Not all teachers are as lucky as you that, you know, they can quit and uh, do their own thing. Most are stuck in a profession they love. It's their bread and butter as well. So they really need the money. What would you advise them to do if quitting is not an option? Definitely find an outlet for your emotions. You need one. You need to find somewhere safe that you can you kind of let it go, someone to talk to, someone probably not from your own school, just so that you can have a conversation that isn't biased by building on each other's fears. Because that happens very often when teachers talk together. They just build on the negative. So find a positive outlet. And secondly, build some protected time for yourself in your own schedule, in your own planner, and stick to it. If you say that Friday after work, you are not going to be doing any grading, you're going to take that time for yourself, hold yourself to it. You need to take care of yourself and your time. That was Camila Shakarchi, an educator who now runs her tutoring firm. And it seems, you know, a lot of what she's been saying has resonated with many of you. Anne Jackson uh, is a former teacher. She sent a voice note on WhatsApp on 0487155500. We'll be playing that out later. This is Eye on Education on the Agenda. With the Royal Grammar School, Guildford, Dubai. Sister school to one of the most respected schools in the United Kingdom. Now accepting applications from FS1 to U. Yeah, focus on all things education, listening to the agenda. You've just been hearing from uh, Camilla Shikarchi, uh, an educator who has now turned uh, to create her own tutoring firm after uh, the pressures uh, of teaching during the pandemic increased to such a stage that she couldn't continue uh, and therefore sought uh, a different path. Um, it seems that Camilla's story is not alone. Thank you very much indeed for the text messages that are coming in on 4001. Just had one uh, from another teacher. I'm not going to mention said teacher, but I will uh, mention the story there. Uh, hi, also a teacher this year. I'm also a teacher this year, leaving the profession. I've taught here in the UAE for 21 years and worked for the last 13 at a non-profit outstanding school. However, I'm leaving the profession to pursue a new career that will afford me the work-life balance that I crave. Although I'm well paid in the UAE, I've received no pay rise in over 10 years. Uh, We're made as teachers to feel grateful uh, for being paid more than at home. And there's a sense of don't dare ask for more. I just find it frustrating. I'll miss the interactions with my students dearly, but exciting adventures await. Just one of a number of stories that we're receiving this morning. To reflect more on that, uh, we're joined now live in studio by the Assistant Professor of Psychology at Harriet Watt University, Dubai campus. Dr. Kieran Hillier joins us live in studio. Kieran, lovely to speak to you as always. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me, Tom. Um, okay, let's let's reflect on that. You were listening intently there to Camilla's story. We're getting loads of other stories coming through as well. I mean, you've got clients who are in education. Um, we all know friends that are in education. Are these stories that we've been hearing ad infinitum since the beginning of time or has things changed as a result of what we've been through over the last couple of years? 
I think the pandemic has certainly exacerbated um, stressors that teachers have been facing for a very long time. Um, and the one that Camilla talked about in your that um, person who sent in the text message, the big one that comes out is this um, lack of a work-life balance. So uh, the research suggests that um, a lot of teachers are working around up to 60 hours a week um, and that can go up to 70 hours a week in the weeks leading up to school inspections. Uh, and so then if you don't have those opportunities to just um, recuperate and refresh um, and recover after work, then eventually you are going to burn out. All of us are finite resources. Um, our batteries are going to shut down eventually. And so I certainly give kudos to those teachers who are recognising that I can't do this anymore um, and are looking over after their own self-care. Balance. Work-life balance is something that you and I, that many people have discussed well before the pandemic. It's been an mm. issue for so many people for, for a long, long time. However, we've, we're talking about it more. It's become more, it's seemingly become more critical as a result of the experiences of the pandemic. Mm. Is that a fair statement? Has the pandemic sort of pulled focus on what we actually want from work-life balance? Yeah, I think um, the pandemic given all of the changes in work structure that it prompted out of necessity, made us realise, oh, there's other ways that we can be doing things. So it was incredibly stressful for a lot of people, but it also allowed for a lot of learning opportunities in that is the way that we've been doing things purely the way we've been doing things simply out of habit? Um, and are there other ways that can be more engaging for students, um, more... Allowing for that better work-life balance with teachers, you know, can we be automating systems? Can we be utilising different technologies in a way um, that alters the way that classes and content is delivered? Can we involving be involving parents in a different way and updating them as to how a student is going? I think for a lot of parents teaching from home, which would have also been incredibly stressful for a lot of parents, gave them some insight into, oh, <laughs> this is actually really hard um, and I'm just trying to help my child. Then you've got a teacher who is trying to accommodate for the learning needs of 20, 30, 40 students in one class. Mm. Uh, you often hear about, and, and look, you know, we're very conscious of the fact that um, uh, those in a number of different industries, those in a no number of different livelihoods have have had something of a volte face, a, a little change, a pivot, as we've been the, the word we've been all too often using during the pandemic. I suppose the, the difference here is that we often refer to teaching as a vocation mm. rather than a job choice or a, 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 a calling, per a calling mm. in many ways. And again, I suppose, does that make it more difficult for teachers per se to make that decision, as we've just heard? You know, uh, an individual with over 20 years experience teaching here, mm. uh, reluctant to, to go or to make that decision, but getting to a point where they have to make that decision. Yeah, I think that's a very good point that um, people who choose to teach, it is um, a calling for them. And they then find it very hard to be able to take that step back because mm. Their concern is, well, it has a flow-on effect if a teacher is not um, coping very well or is not keeping up with the work demands that are there, then that impacts on the classes that the students have and then that impacts on the academic performance and the achievement levels of those students and then that rolls on to impressions that the parents can have. Um, so there's that concern around, well, if I choose to try and prioritise my own needs at this point, um, can I do that because does that mean I am inevitably 
sacrificing. I am putting my students at risk and is that something that I want to do? So I agree that um, they can find that very hard to establish those boundaries because they are concerned primarily about um, the kids. And I think that's something we can try and utilize when it comes to school management and parents and teachers, that everybody is trying to do this in the best interest of the kids. And if we can remember that rather than it becoming a, a pass the buck process in terms of who, who can we blame, it's that who can we best support each other to enable the best outcomes for the children in these classes. And and is that is that a a clear and present concern. I mean, if a teacher is not performing uh, at 100%, if a teacher uh, is suffering from mental stress, mm-hmm. um, uh, having problems with sort of finding their, their, their mojo, if you like, about why they got into teaching, etc., will that have a negative impact on the children that they teach? Oh, definitely. Uh, I mean, certainly burnout, you know, if we think about what burnout is as opposed to stress, because I I think all of us are exposed to different levels of stress. Um, But burnout is when you have a chronic level of stress. And then not only that, but then it leads to um, feelings of demotivation, disengagement with your work, cynicism about, well, nothing's going to change. And so is the work, you know, this sense that I, everything I'm doing is kind of pointless. You're frustrated with the systems. And so you'll see what we call a lot of presenteeism when people are burnt out, that they go and they do the work, but they're not engaged. Mm. Um, We have compassion fatigue uh, where, you know, the concerns of a student, you just start to dehumanize the the student that you, I can't, can't be dealing with this on top of everything else. So I'm just going to pretend that that issue is not there or just not get emotionally involved because, you know, my bucket is full. And if I take on anything else, it's going to be overwhelming. So then if you are not engaged and if you don't have time to even be able to familiarize yourself with the content of a class before walking in, then you can't be teaching as effectively as you want to. Mm. And teachers know that as well. So then they are seeing that they they recognize that my performance is not as good. And so then that further enhances the burnout because it it further reinforces that cynicism of, well, why should I even bother because I'm not even doing this at the level that I want to do? Um, and so it becomes this very vicious cycle mm. for teachers. Schools, I think it's fair to say um, – majority of them, not all, but uh, schools are doing a better job now at recognising student mental health. It's something, again, that we've talked a lot about. And it's good to see that we're Mm. seeing departments set up and individuals uh, clearly looking for red flags there. Are schools doing enough to recognise the mental health of teachers? Ah, (laughs) hard hitting question there, Tom. Um, I would say that there's definitely been progress there. And uh, when I talk with teachers, both, you know, in terms of the work that I do in the clinic, but also um, my own social circle. They say that teacher, uh, the school management is recognising this more um, and they are starting to implement more strategies. So a number of schools have hired, you know, either um, counsellors that are in-house or they might contract out like an employee assistance program um, so their teachers have this outlet to get that more professional support. Um But there's still, I think, gaps that could be filled. A big complaint that you see across every survey and also the anecdotal evidence when I'm just talking with people is the level of admin work that teachers need to do on top of their teaching. So, yes, um, those professional supports are also there, but teachers really need those more practical supports, you know, more admin support so that they can be delegating that 
those tasks out so that they can be focusing on what they're really most skilled at and what they're most passionate about, which is the teaching. This is Eye on Education on the Agenda. With the Royal Grammar School Guildford Dubai, passionate about creating personalised learning experiences to nurture independent and future-ready young people. Grant, thanks so much indeed for all of your communications. Get in touch with us. Uh, One person who did that is uh, Anne Jackson, who got in touch uh, explaining why she quit teaching. I left teaching not, I mean, there was many reasons I did my passion is my career now. But one of the reasons was because teachers are so overworked. I have never seen, I've never worked with nurses, but I have never seen a group of people who work so hard for so little reward other than, you know, seeing kids actually well educated. Uh, They don't have much financial reward as to how hard they work. And when people say about, you know, they have holidays, most of the teachers spend their holidays marking, writing exams, looking at all the administrative tasks, which is probably 50, if not 60% of their time. And there's too much administrative pressure put on teachers these days. They're not allowed to just get on with the job and just go in and teach. There is so much expected of them. Teachers are teachers because they're passionate and they have, you know, a passion for teaching other people but I don't believe that they're rewarded well enough for what they do. Those are the thoughts of Anne Jackson uh, explaining why she quit teaching. Uh, the assistant professor of psychology at Harriet Watt University Dubai campus is Dr Kieran Hillier who has uh, been kind enough to join us live here in studio. Uh, nodding away listening there to Anne. Do you concur Dr Hillier? I concur yes um, and I, I mean I teach at university Uh, And so I definitely understand that teaching university students is very different to teaching, um, you know, kindergarten kids, primary school, high school. Um, But, yeah, I I definitely identify with a lot of stuff that she was talking about. Uh, We've got a question that's come through from one of our listeners. Uh, Does Kieran think that uh, counselling should be available for teachers in all schools? Should it be mandatory? Is it mandatory in other parts of the world? Ah, I mean, as uh, as a psychologist, I certainly advocate that, yes, uh, mental health support should be available and as easily accessible as, um, you know, physical health resources that we have. I'd love it if we got to a point where, you know, just as you have a yearly or six-monthly checkup with your GP, then people are having, you know, their uh, biannual checkup with a psychologist or a counsellor. Um, so because mental health is a huge component um, of our overall well-being and that can flow on and affect our physical health. Um, so just as we've now, I believe, you know, schools, it's now mandatory for schools to be providing school counsellors for the students. Mm. I think it is important for um, every organisation to provide some outlet or resource for people to be accessing um, mental health services, whether that is directly through um, insurance provisions. Uh, And I believe, you know, the law changed a few months ago where you had to provide mental health services Mm -hmm. under the basic um, health insurance that they offer here. But also it might be through an employee assistance program. So they have a contract out with um, an organization where people can be reaching out to a trained professional through email or text message or phone calls or Zoom calls, um, whatever resource they think is, is most appropriate for their staff. What about you mentioned parents earlier? We've looked we looked a lot at students, we looked a lot at teachers, we looked a lot at the school institutions. What about the role of parents? I mean it's always been part of the mm. mix if you like. But again, can we blame it on the pandemic that that seems to have 
the, the ingredients, the equilibrium seems to have changed a little bit? Well, yeah, and uh, I think it'd be interesting to see if we've heard from any parents in terms of everybody who's texting in. We're hearing from a lot of students. Yeah. I mean, uh, teachers, I don't know if we've heard from parents, but I think with the um, the pandemic there was suddenly all of this pressure on parents that now, what, I'm I'm a part-time teacher as well as everything else that I am doing and I have to provide like a quiet space that has all the appropriate technology uh, for my child at home. And so then as things have started to move back to normal, I think that for a lot of parents there has been this urge to just please take them back. Yeah. <laughs> Can I just, I need to offload um, some of uh, the stresses that I've got. Uh, and so then, you know, because of their own um, desire to manage their own self-care, it can be, you know, do we lose sight of then the, the subsequent pressure that that is putting on, on teachers? Um, and this sense of being mindful for parents that a teacher's well-being affects your child's well-being and their academic engagement and their academic performance. So this isn't just, oh, we need to look out for teachers because they're they're humans too and we want to be nice to people. It's thinking, you know, the, the well-being of your teaching staff has a ripple effect on um, the engagement that your students have in just enjoying school um, and their academic achievements overall. Unfortunately, we are out of time. We could talk for a lot longer on this subject, I'm sure, but I can't thank you enough uh, for for coming on in and sharing uh, your experience and uh, um, your thoughts on this one. Um, What's exciting in Dr. Kieran Hillier's world at the moment? All good at the uh, Harriet Watt University? Other initiatives underway? Uh, Harriet Watt, um, I mean, when uh, your earlier person was talking about over the summer holidays, that's the same for us as well. You know, over the summer, uh, we're not teaching but we are preparing and we're modifying our course content and our assessments and we're doing our research and we're doing everything else. Mm. I must say, personally, I am directing a play. So that is my stress outlet, um, engaging in theatre. So we are, um, in the last couple of weeks, preparing for that. So um, that is taking up my spare time. But I love it. It's it's energising and I'm working with great people. So When's opening night? Uh, and I apologise if this seems like I've like hijacked this. That's fine. That's what we're here for. Oh, great. Um, so it's uh, we're opening on um, Friday, May 27th at The Junction in Al-Sakal Avenue. The play is called A Girl in School Uniform Walks Into a Bar. Um, and it's a two-hander with two brilliant actresses who I'm working with, Lauren and Roya. So... Yes. Look, <laughs> Love forward to talk to about it. Look forward to it. We'll be in touch uh, closer to the date. That's Tickets for on sure. platinum list. <laughs> Look at that. Get it in there. Thanks, Tom. <laughs> no, we can't thank you enough for coming on in. So it's the least we can do. But Kieran, thank you so much indeed for being with us. Uh, and I hope uh, if you, anyone else has got any further questions, you can either get in touch uh, with Dr. Kieran Hillier, of course, versus, so, via socials, or of course, uh, send us your questions here and we will forward them on. This is Eye on Education on the Agenda with the Royal Grammar School. Guildford, Dubai. I want to turn our attention to another element of all things education, languages and the importance of languages. Um, come on then, let me know. Are you multilingual? Come on, uh, let us know, all the polyglots out there, how many people speak multiple languages? We want to be hearing from you, please. And what languages do you speak? But more to the point... How has the learning of languages advanced your career and your life in general? I often joke that, uh, you know, that dinner table question when you're asked, 
um, if you had a superpower, what superpower would you like? And I would love to wake up one day just being able to understand, um, not necessarily speak, but understand every single language in the world because you could have such fun in the back of taxis the world over, couldn't you? The importance of being bilingual, being multilingual to you. What doors has it opened? The reason we want to talk about this is that an increasing number of Emirati students are learning Mandarin. There are now 142 public schools across Dubai and Abu Dhabi where the Chinese language is being taught readily to students. Uh, They are doing it also over in the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia. Is it the language of the future is a question we'd like to ask uh, this afternoon. Well, 1.4 billion people uh, certainly speak the language as their mother tongue uh, and many, many more, I would suggest millions more, Uh, speak it around the world. Talking languages now uh, with the co-founder of ES Dubai. Um, Daniel Rodriguez is going to be joining us live on the line. So uh, Daniel's team mainly teaches English, English, but have since expanded to teaching Arabic and Mandarin. He's also part of the UAE Youth Ambassadors Programme. As I said, Daniel joins us live on the line and live via Microsoft Teams this afternoon. Good afternoon to you, Daniel. Good afternoon. Thank you for inviting me. Not at all. Really appreciate it. Um, So let's get a bit bit of background on that one. As you mentioned there, set out um, mainly teaching English to overseas students. But why the expansion into other languages? Is that purely to do with demand? Yes. Basically, we started like six years ago. We built like international foreign language school in Dubai. And we were unique at that time. And since then, we have been growing a lot. At the last year, we had like 5,000 students that came to study English in Dubai. So it's very popular. But also we found that there was a demand for other languages, especially when we last year we ran a pilot program with the Crown Prince for the Yacht Ambassador program. And they were trying to highly perform, like high-performing kids to learn Chinese and to learn Russian as well. And we created the program for them and we delivered to them the first the, the HSK one, the, like the first level of Chinese. And we delivered completely online because that was last year. And I think since then they realized the potential for students to learn Chinese. Because I think at this moment it's very important to to understand how how big China is and how many oppor- opportunities are with the Chinese. Because also in China only 1% of people actually speak English. Mm. So it's, I think it's a, great, it's a lot of opportunities there. Let's talk about the demand then for people wanting to learn Mandarin. How have you seen the demand, the numbers increase? Over the last, we have seen a lot of demand over the last maybe 12, 16 months. So we started with 50 people and we did it online. And now we're running our, our program around 100 people also online. And it's, and it's going very well because people is actually very keen on the idea of learning Chinese over a long period of time because they have seen that there's a lot of education opportunities, business opportunities, and I think people is just realizing that now. I think also in, because of the location of the UAE, learning Chinese is important for people here in this region. Mm. Is there also an argument to be made, that, and we've been talking about work-life balance and a lot of people making life choices during lockdowns and during the pandemic, uh, given that people wanted to invest in themselves, do you think it prompted people to learn a new language? For sure, for sure. I think people 
when during the lockdown, people tried to different things and they realized that sometimes their skills were not enough. And they, they made this time to, to try to improve themselves and to learn new languages. That's why online language training becomes such a big thing during the pandemic. But also after the pandemic, it's still there because people get got used to learn things online. So I think it's, it's been for us that teach languages, I think it's a very good moment because people is actually looking to develop and to learn new skills, to be more competitive into the global market. Phrases I hear, Daniel, a lot um, when it comes to Mandarin is, A, it's a language of the future, and B, it's going to open doors, create opportunities for me in business. Um, are those the reasons that people should be learning languages? That's a very good question. <laughs> I, think, I think it depends on each person. But I think if you want to expand your circle and if you want to get more opportunities and if you want to get... Because it's not also about it's not only about business and about opportunities, it's about culture, it's about developing multitasking skills, it's about developing new abilities. Mm. Because when you learn a new language, you're not only learning for the purpose of business. You're learning a new set of skills and a new you open up you open the door for big opportunities. And especially it's a market that is very on top still, that is China. So I think it's a, it's great, it's great to it's a lot of reasons to study Chinese and to learn Chinese at the moment. And do you see a, a change in your students? Might be to do with Mandarin, maybe it's to do with Arabic. Do you see them sort of develop as individuals whilst learning a new language? Because of exactly what you're say, is saying there is more than just learning a language on paper. It's more about learning about a different culture. Yeah, for sure. I have seen, I've seen that with my students all the time. When they come to our school and they have only one language for them, it's just they're very culturally locked for say something. They, they don't know. They know all the things, but they don't really understand those things. But when they start learning English, when they start experiencing the culture, when they start experiencing the immersion, they really change because they start seeing things differently and their brain operates differently. And there are many articles that they say not only it's not only about learning English, it gives you multitasking skills, mm. improve the cognitive function. Also, it, it improves your mental health as well. So learning languages have many, many benefits. And it's very good for your brain as well. Mm. So I think there are like plenty of reasons to keep studying other languages. We've mentioned English, we've mentioned Arabic, we've mentioned Mandarin, mentioned Russian as well. Uh, another language that is one of the most widely uh, spoken languages across the world is, of course, Spanish as well. Are we still seeing demand for people to learn Spanish? Yes, for sure. I think it's getting very popular because people is understanding that Spanish is spoken in half of the world, yeah. basically. All America speaks Spanish, Europe, like Spain speaks Spanish. So I think it's a well-spoken language and I think people understand that it's not only Spain, but all Mexico, Colombia, Latin America. And it gives a lot of opportunities because all these markets are new mm. and are developing and it's a lot of business opportunities. And the, part, the good part is Western is Western-minded mm. in a reason. So I think in, if people, now people is realizing the importance of speaking Spanish. I think in the US it's very popular already and people is very familiar with the Spanish. But I think in Europe, people is getting more aware of, the, of these new languages that are very useful for them. Mm. Going to finish up with you, Daniel, by asking for advice uh, from 
a linguist such as yourself, to a lot of people out there, I think a lot of people might have had a bad experiences with languages at school. Maybe they were taught badly. Maybe it was many years ago when uh, the learning tools were very different, etc. What advice do you give to people listening in to us at the moment going, uh, hesitating about learning a new language? Maybe coming up with excuses saying, oh, I'm too old to learn a new language or it's not going to make any difference to me now. What advice would you give to them? I think the best advice is to try. But when you need to try for language, it's good to try in a good way because it requires commitment. You require like a certain amount of commitment a week, at least six or 10 hours a week of actually learning. Because if not, what happens, you get a very bad experience. When you try two hours, two hours a week, you, you don't see you don't see the progression. You don't see that you're improving. And then it leads to frustration. But when actually you are sitting down and you put six to 10 hours a week, to actually learn English, interact with native speakers, to do also cultural activities in that language that will help a lot. So you will change the perception about learning languages. What if you do one or two hours a week, you will see, you will, res- you will still, it will take so much time and it will lead to frustration mm. if you don't achieve your results in a quickly manner. Great advice. Uh, Daniel, really appreciate your time. Thanks so much indeed for joining us. Uh, all the best with the new programmes as well. Arabic, Mandarin, of course, English and other languages all available uh, at uh, Daniel with Daniel and his team at ES Dubai. Daniel, from all the team down here at Dubai, I thank you very much indeed. Thank you so much for calling me. Have a very nice day. Uh, much thanks to Daniel Rodriguez there, the co-founder of ES Dubai. This is Eye on Education on the Agenda. With the Royal Grammar School Guildford Dubai, passionate about creating personalised learning experiences to nurture independent and future-ready young people. You are listening to uh, Eye on Languages. No, we're not. We're listening to Eye on Education, but it might as well be Eye on Languages uh, at the moment. Uh, keep your thoughts coming through. Four zero zero one. News headlines coming away shortly, but uh, today it's all about uh, education. Anne Jackson's been in touch with us uh, this morning, and thank you very much indeed for your messages. Uh, she's a native English speaker, but she wasn't content speaking just one language. I speak uh, five and a half languages. I speak English, Portuguese, French, Spanish, Italian, even though my Italian's rusty, and I'm learning Arabic, and it's helped me hugely in my career. Uh, my first career was in international advertising, and I went to the top very quickly because they needed somebody to contact all the other advertising agencies around the world. Uh, my second career was a language teacher of modern foreign languages, so it helped me there. And then in this career, which is my passion, I'm a psychotherapist and a life coach, and I get to speak to many different clients in different languages. But the thing that really helps is language is a... Um, window into the culture of people and how they think and how they act. So it's knowing people more than just knowing the language. Uh, it helps you to be able to communicate with people and work within their boundaries. And thank you very much indeed for your message. That was from Anne Jackson a little earlier on. We also received a message from Aruma. Aruma, thank you very much indeed for your voice message. Uh, unfortunately, the quality on the messaging wasn't uh, ideal, the sound quality, that is. Uh, but Aruma sending the message saying, Hi, Tom, love the idea of understanding different languages as a superpower. I am terrible with languages. I greatly admire anyone who can speak more than two. Uh, looking forward to today's sessions. Appreciate the uh, appreciate appreciate the um, 
uh, message aruma. Um, let's react to and reflect on a couple of those messages with our next guest, joined now uh, by the lecturer in education at Middlesex University here in Dubai. Joining us live on the line and live via Microsoft Teams. Absolute pleasure to be joined by Dr. Yusra Osman. Uh, Dr. Osman, thank you so much indeed for, your, for joining us this afternoon. Hi, Tom. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really looking forward to our conversation. Well, let's let's start, if we can, with Aruma's point, uh, Yusra, if that's OK, because this phrase I hear quite often, I'm terrible with languages, can't get my head around them. Um, is, is, are some people born with the inability to learn languages or is that just a mental block? Um, well, it just depends on the theories that you're looking at. But definitely, if you're looking at the multiple intelligence theory, um, according to Gardner, certainly some um, people are born or even nurtured with that ability more than others. But what really happens, though, is when you learn a language. And the idea is, is that actually the first five years are really important. And if you are bilingual um, and you do learn a language early on in your life, you're more able to learn more languages the older you get. In terms of what's being taught or learnt here in the UAE, what are the sort of languages that are being offered or or most popular to learn here at the moment? Well, at the moment, um, there is uh, Russian and Mandarin in a lot of public schools um, in Dubai um, and the Emirates in general. But with uh, private schools, it really depends uh, on what kind of school it is and the demographics that they have. Uh, generally, European languages are quite popular, especially in the past. It used to be French that was um, given as an additional language more. But of course, you have the Swiss school with German and French. Mm. You have Indian schools that teach Hindi as a second language as well, um, Farsi. So it really depends on the demographics um, of the school and the type of school that it is. But generally, Russian and Mandarin is the way forward, um, and is the, because, is, you know, is, the trend, is the trend that schools are sort of expanding their language divisions and offerings at the moment? Yeah, absolutely. Because, first of all, we have more teachers that are available that are able to understand, know and teach more languages. Um, so it's a lot easier to offer. And of course, parents and educators see the importance of knowing another language because of globalization. Um, parents coming from different countries, they want their children to know their native languages. Um, and that would be one or two or three even. Um and of course, you know, the demand for knowing, even if it's not your native language, other additional languages to be able to communicate and sort of flourish in, for the future. So forgive me for this simple question, but, you know, it's been a while since I was at school, Yusra. And I'm just wondering, because I was it was always drilled into me uh, as a kid that, you know, being bilingual or bi- being multilingual would open doors for you, be that in life, be that in business, be that in opportunities, etc. You know, that was 20 odd years ago. Does it still ring true to this day? Yeah, absolutely. More than ever. Um, You know, the more languages, you know, of course, the more you're able to communicate. Um, And, you know, the the message um, that was sent through as apologies, I can't remember her name, but she was saying that you actually understand the um, the perspectives through the language. It's not just knowing the language and being able to communicate, but it's actually widening your perspective because you're able to understand why they think the way they think. So, for instance, um, you know, what, what words are masculine, which words are, are feminine, um, that in itself gives you a better understanding. So uh, other than the fact business-wise, they know that you're able to communicate with more people and network with more people. You'll also be able to research more and you'll, you know, have a 
very sort of open mind and wider perspective um, about life. So I think that it's really important. I think you make a really valid point there um, in line with my next question. It leads on to the role of ed tech in, in education at the moment because a lot of people out there will be going, why do I know need to go through several months of courses to learn the basics of a language when technology is evolving so quickly that we're getting to the point now that you can have real-time translation of any language at any time and who knows what's going to happen in the future. But I'm assuming that with that, you do miss out on that cultural side yeah absolutely um you do miss out on the cultural side you miss out on actually practicing the language um it's one thing to learn it and you know memorize the rules uh and you know know all the grammar and vocab but if you're not there practicing the language and i can say this myself uh i didn't learn the language um Arabic, which is my native language, because I wasn't around the people uh, to speak it as much. And once I turned 15 and I was sort of thrown into the deep end uh, speaking the language, I now know it fluently. So it, you really have to practice it and be really involved. In fact, they say for you to learn the language, you should go to the country, speak um, to the native speakers um, for about two to three years to really know the language fluently. So we've worked out that Dr. Yusra Usman is definitely bilingual. Is she multilingual as well? We've got Arabic and English. Anything else? I wish. I, I learned <laughs> French for years in school. But once again, because I didn't go to France, I didn't speak uh, French, I wasn't able to um, learn it as fluently, unfortunately. <laughs> what about... If, if from an education point of view, as, an, as a lecturer in education as a whole, um, how important and how much of a bonus is learning another language to your overall education? So mine or my students? Uh, just, yeah, to, to your students, I suppose, looking at, at some of the student academic performance that, that you've seen um, through Middlesex University. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, other than the what research shows as well as what I've seen. So uh, with, you know, being bilingual or multilingual, it really helps with your cognitive abilities. So your, um, you know, research has shown that it helps with your creativity, um, with uh, flexible problem solving, because you're able to think about one or two more things at once. Um, it really uh, helps with um so creativity, problem solving, improved memory, and also better reading abilities. So I find, um, and personally with my own students, I do find actually, I, I think most of my students are bilingual. Um, and they're really able to bring different perspectives. They're able to think on the spot. Uh, and I think that sort of idea of code switching in your own mind uh, really helps with that. So that certainly, you know, cognitive abilities, um, even communication, in so many ways it helps with their academic performance, writing their essays, critical thinking, so um, all of this, I believe, has a really big impact. Aruma's just reacted to the conversation. She says, I completely agree with what Yusra is saying. To the point about opening doors, I totally agree. A friend of mine who learned Japanese while she lived in Japan for a few years, a Malaysian who learned German while she lived in Germany for a few years, as they both moved to other countries, they were quick to get jobs in big organisations, HQ'd in those countries. It was a no-brainer taking them on and how they quickly blended into the culture. So there's a real-time example, I suppose, uh, sort of, of what is available. Absolutely. Um, listen, final one. I, I just ripped up uh, with our last guest asking for advice. That was Daniel Rodriguez from Yes Dubai. Um, for those out there that are sort of uh, listening in and going, 
I'm too old to learn a language or I'm unable to learn a language. Is it? Is there ever a point when it's just too late? Oh, no. I, I, that's, but that's only because I believe it's never too late to do anything. So absolutely not. It isn't too late. Um, of course, the earlier you learn, the easier it is. Um, but that doesn't mean that it's not possible. And, um, you know, we had a message sent with... Um, uh, she learned has five languages. Yeah. Uh, the person who sent a message across, that's unbelievable. And she's learning Arabic now. So absolutely, it's never too late. Yeah, um, quite right too. Dr. Yusra, thank you so much indeed. Dr. Yusra Osman is the uh, lecturer in education at Middlesex University in Dubai. Yusra, thank you so much indeed for your time. Thank you so much for having me, Tom. It's Shukran. a pleasure. Thank you very much indeed. This is Eye on Education on the Agenda. With the Royal Grammar School, Guildford, Dubai. Sister school to one of the most respected schools in the United Kingdom. Now accepting applications from FS1 to U7. Uh, thank you very much indeed for your text messages. Keep them coming in, 4001 on the text. Uh, you can WhatsApp on 0487155500. Tudor, thank you very much indeed. Tudor, um, Ain't that far from us. I could probably open the window and shout over to the Eton Institute right here uh, in Knowledge Village. Um, He'd like to uh, get in touch to talk all things corporate language learning. Uh, Thank you very much indeed for that, Tudor. We will reach out, that's for sure. Uh, Thanks also to Aruma, who's been in touch several occasions this morning. Continues saying, my children are learning our native Indian language, courtesy of their grandmother classes every day after school and now while she's away in London they still continue their online classes. My 79 year old mum has learnt how to teach virtually and my kids are more confident speaking to their cousins and elders back home. Lovely initiative, thank you very much indeed for that. Right, let's continue with all things education but a little bit of a shift if we can. We've talked about mental health of teachers, we've talked about the importance of languages but what about the education of the future? Well, let's turn to uh, a man with a very futurist uh, uh, vision at the moment. Pankaj Gupta is the founder and the co-CEO of Gulf Islamic Investments, also a member of the board of director of uh, Zspace. Z-Space is an education technology company that focuses on uh, AR and VR, amongst other tools. That's augmented reality and virtual reality uh, for those that don't know. He's also investing heavily in this area of education because he thinks it is the future. So is the metaverse the future of the classroom? Well, don't ask me. Let's ask him because Pankaj uh, joins us live on the line and live via Microsoft Teams. Uh, Pankaj, really good to catch up with you again. Thanks so much indeed for joining us. Same here, Tom. It's always good to speak with you guys. Now, let's put that question to you if I can, because, you know, you're a man who looks to the future, who uh, spots trends before they become the everyday. The metaverse. I've heard a lot about it. You can buy property on the metaverse now. You can set up restaurants on the metaverse. You can go to concerts. Uh, There are all sorts of brands trying to be part of it. But classrooms in the metaverse? I think it's the most uh, plausible thing if I were to talk of metaverse. Because, number one, it is straight uh, associated with education. And as we all know, younger generation is much more comfortable with technology. They are always lead adapters of the things. So, and also, uh, especially with what has happened in last two to three years, 
uh, I'm talking about COVID also, there has been a paradigm shift when it comes to uh, online education, when it comes to people doing things from remotely. And despite of the fact that uh, Z space has been in existence for last, uh, I would say about 12 years, the fact that uh, we have been very, very successful before COVID and the fact that uh, people during COVID have further, I would say, got excited by what is being offered. I think this technology is going to change the way we have been studying, the way we have been experiencing the whole education thing. So it's not just a tool for education. I think it's whole experience. So there are a lot is happening and I can tell you the things are changing on daily basis. So, and it is very, very difficult for anybody to articulate at any one point many things are happening. So yes, it is very much there. It has been there, but not very popular. But now it is gaining a lot of momentum. Well, let's talk a little bit about that, because you mentioned ZSpace there, and, and you're a man that puts your money where your mouth is when it comes to investments. You've made significant investment into ZSpace in recent years. Um, just give our listeners a little bit of an idea about what ZSpace does. So the way you have to see ZSpace is the leading provider of commercial augmented reality and virtual reality. So it takes you, it makes learning very easy. It brings uh, things into three dimensions. So look at from an example that if a very young student wants to understand the difference between the square and the cube, how to explain so it's a very simple, basic example, but I'm trying to simplify from the, from the perspective of those who don't understand the difference. And there are things which are like anatomy of human body, like anatomy of an animal or architect. So these kind of things become very easy, easy to comprehend, easy to understand, easy to analyze when you use Z space because what it actually does this is a, a big a mix of augmented reality and virtual reality but the augmented reality part takes you into uh, into the three dimensions of it you can rotate a thing you can uh, sort of go behind a thing and that makes your learning very easy so that is what so it is an immersive experience and especially two segments i would like to focus stem which is science technology, engineering, gaming, and mathematics, STEM, and uh, what we call uh, career and technical education, uh, like example of uh, somebody who wants to be an automobile engineer or autom automobile diploma engineer. These kind of uh, disciplines, are uh, they, they really need technology like these space. How, what's been the reaction from schools? Can they, can they get on board or are schools reluctant to get on board, especially when a number of schools are looking to try and get uh, pupils and students back into their classrooms? So, uh, as I said, ZSpace has been in existence for more than 12, 13 years. And uh, I'm very happy to tell you the fact that we are present in more than 20,000 schools in the U.S. Mm. We are, uh, if I go by numbers, we are present in 96% of top 100 uh, school districts in U.S. And this has been pre-COVID, uh, post-COVID, this has gained momentum and it is moving very fast. We are present in other parts of the world, like China, in Europe, in CIS countries. And as a matter of fact, and I don't know that many people knew about it, Z-Space was picked up by du Dubai Future Foundation mm. about five years back as top 
technology on education and we started working with kshta also so you know schools uh, are very excited because it has made learning easy the concepts of the students can be uh, cleared clarified and they can be like robust understanding of things with the help of this this space technology the schools are welcoming it Uh, like anything mm. and the fact uh, that we are having a wonderful fun- we had a wonderful financial year in 2021 we ha- are having very good last uh, q1 and we are seeing lot of order uh, like lot of interest from schools in q2 and so on so forth it clearly shows that uh, there is a strong interest and similarly other parts of the world beyond us we are getting inquiries people are excited about it and it is not just beyond education like you know curricular activities you know gaming and uh, there is massive interest from people companies are approaching us how to use this space technology and uh, sort of come up with something in gaming and if i were to tell you there was an article from forbes in sometime in january and they said that this space is a technology which could bring a fundamental change the way we are comprehending metaverse This is Eye on Education on the agenda with the Royal Grammar School Guildford Dubai passionate about creating personalized learning experiences to nurture independent and future ready young people Talk in the future of education we've been asking people what do you think a metaverse classroom would look like uh, it is not just a figment of your imagination for the future it is something that is actually becoming reality in its own right pragati thinks well to begin with i did not think metaverse classrooms even existed my younger sister is in school and i couldn't even imagine what that would be like what happens when you don't do your homework i would think that you can control your character and because it's the metaverse anything is possible because you know technology so you can probably get your assignments done super quick i would assume it's not really like a classroom it's more like a digital space where people sit so they wouldn't really it wouldn't look like a classroom setting they can probably just grab the information with like pictorial memory not have to write notes down and now that i think of it i'm actually pretty jealous and i wish that this was there during our time also heard from tola this morning it's all about futurism it's all about science fiction it's all about 3d virtual spaces and yeah for kids it's interesting i mean you don't want your kids to lose out on learning how the metaverse works mostly because that's that's probably the next level tech of technology that we're going to see and you know in the next uh, couple of years and you do want your kids to get familiar with it same as the internet obviously with um guidelines restrictions and you know censoring for children but i think the metaverse it's the next big thing you know i do want my kids to learn about the metaverse yeah Well, one man who's been very much at the forefront of that is Pankaj Gupta, who's been kind enough to stay with us live on the line. Pankaj is the founder and the co-CEO of Gulf Islamic Investments, also a member of the board of directors at ZSpace, an education technology company that focuses on AR and VR and is embracing the metaverse. Pankaj, appreciate uh, your patience. Thanks for being with us. Just your reaction to those comments there. Interesting to hear from both students a little bit jealous uh, with what metaverse has to offer as a classroom but also from a parent's point of view there seems to be this readiness of people to get to to accept this um this move for the future of education yeah it's really heartening you know and i think as a uh, 
people who are backing the technology and people who are backing the business it motivate us to do more from us and bring uh, these kind of technology to a place like uae which has been always on the forefront of embracing new technology and you know i was hearing the comment from the student or the the young girl who was saying she is jealous and you know i like to give example to you guys that how one should visualize see when we were when we study let's say boring subject like history and we are looking at old civilization let's say we talk of greece just imagine a situation that while a student is studying from a book there could be something which can take the student to that ancient civilization mm. walk them around those beautiful historical buildings so their experience their uh, retention of knowledge their understanding could be how different than just reading from the book so this is i think the change in the experience of education we aim to bring it to uh, students and schools and teachers this is how i think yeah, we got a question that's come through from taylor for you bangashen is asks um will the new classroom of the metaverse or metaverse classroom uh, and the technology therein benefit all children of all levels has it got something for everyone I, I, yes so as of now we are offering k12 so basically we are covering the whole school uh, gamut or uh, levels of school plus we have uh, applications for higher educations like career and technical education so short answer is yes uh, pankaj if people want to find out more about z space uh, and what they could benefit from where's the best place for them to find that information certainly they can go to the z space website and also there is a contact uh, email address and there is a box they can drop the question and the company would be very happy to provide more information and clarify their doubts if any or answer their questions just search for z space that's the letter z uh, followed by the word space so z space get involved now pankaj lovely to catch up with you have a lovely uh, weekend my friend and i'm sure we will talk again at some point in the future but thanks for your time this afternoon Thank you for having me Tom. It's always good to speak with you. Pankaj Gupta, founder and co-CEO of Gulf Islamic Investments and one of the brains behind uh, Z Space. Thanks so much indeed to all of you for your thoughts and comments. Uh, it's been a busy old show. Uh, we're going to be back on Monday, albeit not from the studio, uh, live from Abu Dhabi, from the World Utilities Conference that's taking place down in Abu Dhabi. George Tolley uh, hopefully will be back in the hot seat for you uh, on Monday, so stay tuned for that one. Uh, the agenda will be live from, as I said, uh, WUC on Monday. Tune in from 10am to find out about the transformation of power and water utilities and how that's affecting us all. In the meantime, enjoy your weekend. Take it easy. Big thanks to Zena Zellemeyer for holding my hand throughout the whole process, uh, to Mills for keeping us on air and for Benji for disrupting everyone else. Uh, big thanks to you as well. Uh, one final comment. This is from Iman, who's been listening in, reflecting on the metaverse classroom of the future. Bye-bye. I assume it would be customized rooms set up online so that you can uh, tailor kids learning according to their needs according to their interests so for example you can have a room for the sporty kids together where the learning is themed around sports you could have rooms for music arts so on and so forth you could differentiate according to ability kids that need a little bit more attention could be grouped together in certain rooms so you know subtly improve the quality of their education I guess it would make it more relevant to them too because they're used to this stuff. They grew up with internet unlike my generation where we just had to kind of figure it out as it came and sort of like hold on for the ride as it keeps like moving on. 
So yeah, I can definitely see the advantages. Um, I don't know how much the training and the setup of all this is though. That could be a barrier because remember the teachers aren't necessarily online with this. Thanks so much indeed for joining us for another edition of Eye on Education. Make sure you're listening next Friday from 11 to find out more on all things education.